Welcome to today's episode of Empowered, a perfectionist guide to imperfection, hosted by me, Miranda Lee. It's time to take back control of our lives, and it's time to write our own story. Remember, you are enough, you are worthy, and you are loved. Let's dive in. Hey, what is up, you guys? Welcome to another episode of Empowered. Today, I have my homegirl, Lindsay Church, on the podcast. I think you guys are going to be able to relate to a lot of the things that she shares. She talks about what it's like to be a 25-year-old who graduated from college looking for a job and looking for a man as a Christian woman. So I hope you guys enjoy. Let's get it started. Hey, Lindsay, tell the listeners who don't know you about yourself and what you do. Hey, Miranda, I'm super excited to be here. So hey, guys, my name's Lindsay. I'm from San Diego. So Miranda and I met when she was living here in San Diego. We both actually worked at the YMCA together, which is where we kind of formed that friendship. And I grew up in San Diego my whole life. I still live here, went to San Diego State. And now I'm a teacher and I teach in San Diego. I teach sixth grade in the Chula Vista Elementary School District. And recently in COVID, I got a puppy. I got a golden retriever, my childhood dream come true. So Nash was welcomed into my life in May and things are going great. So I know one of the struggles that you've had that I know a lot of people our age have is finding a job after school. And I feel like like we both did everything right. Like we went to school, we got good grades, got our bachelor's, we went and got your master's. And like, even like for you specifically, like you had such a, like when you're a teacher, you go to school to be a teacher and then you find a job to be a teacher. It's pretty straightforward. But I know you said that you are still, you were still struggling to find a job and you didn't even get this permanent job till recently. So um, like, what are some things you've learned from this experience and what advice would you give to others who are in this current situation? Yeah. So a little bit of my backstory is I did my credentialing program after college. That was a full year and I couldn't work during that year. It's basically working for free as a student teacher. And after my credential program, I started applying. I literally applied to every school district in San Diego for the most part and didn't even get one single interview. And the climate in San Diego, it's kind of like that. We're waiting for a lot of teachers to retire. There just aren't enough spaces for new teachers to hire, as to do with the population and the numbers and everything. But so here I am, just spent six years going to school, and I don't even get an interview. I got rejected from one school district twice. And I think what sucks the most about that was I wasn't even getting a chance to like play. I was just standing on the sidelines watching. So it's kind of like, I don't know what hurts more being rejected or not even getting the chance to try. So that was really hard for me. And I think something like you said, like you also have struggled with it. We were both raised the same way where you graduate high school, you're going to go to a university, then you're going to get a full-time job and be an adult and take care of yourself. And so then I entered in the world and I was working three jobs to make meet, to make ends meet. And it was really hard and it was really frustrating in that season. So what, what are some things that that got you through because I know it, it probably like hurts. Why aren't I getting these interviews? And it's literally nothing personal. Like these people don't even know you yet. It's so funny because that typical cliche saying where it's not like what you do with like who you know, it's literally who you know. I got my job last year as a fourth grade teacher because I was subbing. Somebody saw me teach 
and they said, here's a phone number, call it and apply to this job. That's how I got my first teaching job. It was who I knew. It wasn't my degree. It wasn't the time I had spent. It wasn't my portfolio with all of my hard work. It wasn't even like my personality in an interview. It was literally who I knew. And then obviously I had to win them over during the interview process, but that's how I got it. And so advice to anybody out there, honestly, don't be afraid to hustle. I was working three different jobs, but I still had my main goal as my priority. I wanted to be a teacher. So I had my side gigs. I had my after school gigs that I was doing my weekend job. But at the same time, like I knew what I wanted and I was hungry for it. And I subbed for six months, which is a really hard thing to do before I got my job. So if you're listening and you are in that limbo of waiting for something to open up, honestly, just keep going. Because in the end, what I realized is it was worth waiting for. If I had gotten a job at some other school district, some other school, I mean, I could be happy, but I love the school that I'm at and I love the people I work with. And so I like, I know it was God's timing because nope, 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 yes. And this is a yes that you're going to stay here. And so I'm really confident that in this past season, God literally was like, honey, we're teaching patience because what you're going to have in the end was worth the wait. Yeah, I can totally see that. And I've, I heard um, that sometimes you just need to remember that it's, you have to go through your 10 no's before you get that one yes. And I think a lot of us have a hard time with that. Like we just want the yes, but if it was easy, like, then what's the point of working for it? You know, it's not, it's not easy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a really hard part that people, especially like Christian people get discouraged with is, okay, I don't have my yes right now. Oh, have I been working this whole like college time on a pathway that's not meant for me? Am I supposed to be doing something else? And you can't jump to those conclusions. Just because that door is open doesn't necessarily mean it. You have to pray about it, meditate about it, seek guidance about it, and you have to give that process enough time. A lot of people don't get jobs after college for, for quite a few months now. I mean, regardless of COVID, but like, for example, my brother is in PR and he didn't get a job in San Diego until maybe like four months after graduating college, but then he got hired at the San Diego Convention Center. And so that was something that was definitely worth the wait. So this makes me want to talk about something that I talked to you about when I was struggling hard because you are definitely my go-to person when it comes to, you know, my faith and, and life advice. Because um, I remember going to you because I my question was, like, how do you find the balance of trust God and like, you're not working hard enough? Because like the Bible says, like, don't be lazy, but the Bible also says to trust God. So like, how, how do you find that balance? I think something that I learned is you're not supposed to build your own doors and windows, if that makes sense. A lot of people say, you know, when the door opens, that's your opportunity to walk through it. Or if you can't go through the door, find a window. We're not supposed to build our own doors and windows. I think like if you have the analogy that life's a race, we're running this race. You're working hard. You're seeking guidance. You're physically working. You're not just going to the beach every day, babysitting on the weekends and going, oh, that job will come to me. You're out there. You're making connections. You're checking that resume. You're making those hustles. That moves you forward. So when you came to me and you asked me the question, you were like, girl, I don't know if I'm supposed to go do my own thing or continue to do what I went to school for. I think the answer is that's up to you. And God didn't design one clear path for us. If you 
decide that you want to be a nurse and go back to school, God's not going to smite you for it. He's not going to, you know, send some lightning down or like kill your cat. But if God wants you to go in another direction, you'll know because God literally has to shout at us sometimes. But the difference between people following God's word or following God's like plan is if you're listening, I firmly believe you have to be an active listener to what God's trying to tell you. And it's not easy. I mean, that goes without saying, but at the same time, we are, we have free will and we are in charge of our destiny. That's why God wants us to choose him. So in the end, follow your passion, use your gifts. And I think God is going to bless you along the way. Yeah. And that's something that I, you know, I, I came to you about when I was trying to decide whether or not to take this class that was super expensive. And I said, I, I'm trying to listen to God, but I just can't tell if he's telling me to do it or not. And um, you were just like, it's not, it's not that simple. He's going to follow you in whatever path you decide. Do you remember what I asked you? I remember asking you something that I just heard in a podcast that really inspired me. I said, go three wise deep. Tell me three strong whys of why you should do this. And you did easily within seconds in a text message, boom, boom, boom. If you can go three wise deep for something, I think that's a good start and you should start walking in that direction. Yeah, that, I do remember you asking me that. And I did. I, I, there was three reasons why I thought I should do it right away. And, and I did it and I'm so glad, but like you said this and I heard it somewhere else. It's, you know, God wants to, wants to join this journey with you. You know, he's not sitting there telling you what to do. Cause like you said, we have free will. We really do. And, you know, we don't have just one clear path. So that, that's so true. Cause I know a lot of Christians do struggle. Like, am I making the right decision? But it's, it's not always just a right or wrong decision. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the end, a lot of us would be very successful at different careers. We would be successful in different marriages. We would be happy with different living situations. It just, you know, we make our moves and we seek God through that. But at the same time, like a lot is up to us. That's so true. Because imagine like how many people in life that are just over here happy and living their life. Like you're telling me that everyone just made the perfectly right <laughs> decision in their life to to be married that's why that whole like soulmate thing I'm not sure if I believe there's one soulmate for every person because then how we just all happen to find that soulmate I mean I know there's you know divorce people get divorced and stuff but that's a lot of people to find their soulmates for how many people are married yeah that's so funny that you say that because there's a book that I read it's called outdated by Jonathan Pakluda best book that I read about dating, single, dating, married, whatever. And he goes through like the soulmate, the one. And he was like, if God wanted us to find the one, that's like the worst thing he could do to us. That's so mean. There are billions of people on the planet. Maybe like, I don't know, 60% of them are men or 30%, who knows. And we had to find the one. It's like, how do you know? And then once you're married, it's like, oh, sorry, you're not my one. Got to go find them. That's, that's a horrible yeah, because I feel like if there was just one person, then that marriage would just be so easy. And like, that's not the point. You guys are supposed to have sacrifices. You're both supposed to be putting in the work. So, okay, I'm glad I'm not just crazy. I'm not the only one who thinks that there isn't such thing as just one individual soulmate. <laughs> so I know that dating is already pretty hard nowadays in general, and, and not even just because of COVID. I think just kind of like how our culture and society is nowadays. 
And that probably makes it way harder as a Christian woman trying to find a Christian man. So how's that been for you and how has it shaped your relationship with God? I haven't had a long-term relationship ever. I've had boyfriends who I date for a few months, like it's Facebook official. I meet his parents, his grandma, and then it ends. I've never had like a year-long, multiple-year-long relationship. And I'm 25 and I've been on several dates. I'm the queen of dating apps. I've been on almost all of them at some point in my life. Um, Bumble and Hinge are definitely like my go-to. And I mean, a blanket statement, like there are like nice Christian dudes on those apps. The first guy I ever went on a date with on Bumble, he ended up going to the same church that I wanted to go to. He was a really strong, rad Christian guy. And like, I am a really nice, smart Christian woman on a dating app. Like, come at me. (laughs) And So what I'm saying is like, don't discredit those. Those are an easy way to meet people because yeah, society is definitely different. Like boys don't come ring your doorbell and ask your father to court you anymore. So you have to kind of put yourself out there, whether that means taking a pottery class or a karate class or getting on a dating app, like you have to meet people some way. And why, I know the answer to this question, but why do you think you are still single? For me specifically, I think you kind of grew up in this atmosphere as well, where us young Christian single women are told you're going to marry your first boyfriend, or you're probably going to be married by the time you're 21, 22. But so we're told that. And then so often that doesn't happen. And so when that happened to me, when my boyfriend at 19 years old dumped me, who I thought that I loved, it broke my heart. So I was like, well, I was supposed to marry him. We're going to get back together and he's going to be my husband. And that's so false. But I think a huge part about why I'm single is I would not be the woman I am today if I had a boyfriend this whole time. I probably would not have traveled as much. I probably wouldn't have been as successful at school. I wouldn't have these strong soul sister, Jesus loving sisters that I have in my life. Not saying that women who are dating or women who are married can't have that. But that's something that I needed to go through a journey on my own. And I did. And I found myself. I found my voice. I I know who I am fully. And I've done a lot of growing myself so that when I enter a marriage, homie's not getting this broken, really insecure, doesn't know how to work hard 19-year-old girl. He's getting the woman who has understood a little bit about life and who has come to love Jesus more and to love herself more as well. It's something that I have come to say these past maybe like two years, definitely this last year, and a lot of my friends can quote me, is I know that I'm ready, but my future husband might not be ready. And once I heard that, that like blew my mind. I was like, okay, like I'm mature enough. I feel like I'm at a place in my life where I can, and I desire and I can enter marriage, but my future husband might be finishing medical school. He might be working really hard to try and buy a house. He might be traveling the world as a missionary. Who knows? So he might not be ready. And I'm confident enough and secure enough to live my life and have fun and do things until he's ready. And we can join and continue that fun journey together. Maybe he's just not born yet. You were just made to be a cougar. (laughs) Maybe he's in jail. (laughs) Maybe he's in jail. (laughs) Maybe he's too busy with his other sugar mama or whatever exactly hopefully he's getting like a nice car out of it or something (laughs) that's so funny but I mean one of the things that you said that I think is so true is like how much growth that you've had um over these past couple years and like 
I'm going to be honest. When I met Taven, um, I was pretty broken. And I even like thinking, thinking back, like I, like I knew I was pretty broken at the time, but I think like God has a plan for us. And I don't think that God gave my husband to me like to fix me because that didn't happen at all. But I think it happened to kind of pick me up and be like, here you go. And then with being married to a man in the Navy, like he's gone a lot. So I remember the, when he went to boot camp, those, those two months, I lived in an apartment all by myself. That was my first time ever being by myself. I hated being by myself. Like I hated it. I could not be alone. I did not like it. And it's just, I feel like God did that to me on purpose. Um, I don't want this to sound bad, but having Tabin, who I knew that I was going to marry one day, I couldn't use that time of being alone, like to turn to boys or to turn to something else, like to drown out the pain because, um, you know, I was with Tabin and Tabin was love of my life. So it kind of forced me to heal my relationship with myself knowing that, you know, the man that I'm with, he's not here. And I, I kind of have to be alone. And even, I mean, I did so much growth during those just two months, but even now with him being gone and me moving across the country, um, like he's gone a lot. Like he's not here now. He's, <laughs> we're probably, I'm not I'm probably not going to see him until the end of the year for more than like a couple of days. But that forced me to grow like so much. And like you said, like, how are we supposed to be the woman, the women that we're, that God wants us to be if we don't have that space to grow? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that you would have been able to grow as much if you weren't alone? Like if you weren't, if you didn't have the silence around you, how do you think that would have looked? Are you interviewing me? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, um, oh my gosh, that's, yeah, trust me, I think about that all the time because I really, the th- I feel like the things that I turn to, um, like, like people who, I mean, I used to always blame it on just being an extrovert, like, oh, I'm just an extrovert. But I think I just didn't have that amazing relationship with myself that I could just be like, I'm going to spend a Friday night at home alone. Like, it was even like, I'm gonna go hang out with my parents. Like, I'm going to go home. I remember one time I had to watch the house. My parents went out of town. I was calling my grandma. I was like, yo, grandma, you want to come over to hang out? And she couldn't. And I was just bawling on the floor crying. <laughs> and my parents knew because they knew this was one of my biggest struggles. And they they thought it was pretty funny. Not going to not gonna lie. It's pretty funny. I'm calling my grandma to hang out because no <laughs> one wanted to hang out with me. But yeah, like, it really did force me to grow. And like, I love my alone time now. Like I have my best growth. I I've discovered all these things about me that I didn't even know. Like reading books, I didn't know I like to read. Reading's cool, yo. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I wouldn't have. I don't think I would have like turned into who I am if I wasn't have if I wasn't forced to have all this alone time. And like yeah, I'm married and I have an amazing husband, but I still am forced to go through that growth because he's not here. Yeah, I think it's so interesting how oftentimes like silence is where people do the best growth and it's like my personality that's I reach for that I'm not necessarily an introvert or an extrovert like you know me like you want to go out let's have some fun but then at the same time like I need that couple hours to myself 
to form my thoughts, think about my day, think about my future, et cetera. Yeah. So like, I've definitely seen you grow, grow so much over the past couple of years. And like, you have really focused a lot on yourself and your own self-development. So did you like decide one day that I need to do this or where do you think you were kind of forced to, cause you've always been pretty independent. And um, even like you said, you, you do take these hours to yourself every day and you've always just kind of done your own things, but I'm sure there, like, there's a struggle that comes with that. Have you and I ever talked about the Enneagram test, that personality test? I don't think so. So the Enneagram test, it's not the Myers-Briggs. The Enneagram, it gives you a number. And there's it's like nine one through, personalities. Yeah, it's like one through yeah. nine, right? Yeah, it's one through nine. And I'm a one. And the one is the reformer. And it's also the perfectionist. So think about different shades of colors. There's light blue. There's dark blue. So a one can be anywhere from a sky blue to a deep navy. The ones, our biggest thing is fixing things until it's right. Now with me, that doesn't come from oh, my paper's not right, my project's not right, my garden, that's, it's not like a physical thing for me, it's a mental thing for me. So for example, I did it, I taught one time and my principal came in to observe me. I taught a math lesson as a first year teacher and she sent me an email with my review. She only said positive things. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, are you kidding me? No way was that perfect. Like, why didn't she give me any constructive criticism? Now, not a lot of people do that. My personality, I do. Because I'm forever asking, what did I do wrong? How can I do better? And yes, that's good at some, at some point. And that's in some, how can I do better? And yes, that's good in a lot of aspects in life. But for example, that hurts relationships. Because I expect a lot from people. And oftentimes, people don't want to rise to meet those expectations, especially like in a casual friendship. And so that makes me sad. That hurts me. That pushes me away when other people are refusing to grow. So for me personally, I mean, I can say it now and I can talk about it. These past maybe three years, I was depressed. Senior year of college, I remember going to the doctor and she was like, are you depressed? Do you suffer with anxiety? And I was like, no, a straight up no. And come now like three years later, around August time, literally the weight lifted off my shoulders and I have found this freedom because these past three years, anger has been so prevalent in my life. And anger is a secondary emotion. And I know that I've been angry, angry at the world, angry at God, angry at myself. And it's because I wasn't willing to like feel that sadness and accept that imperfectness. So like, I know you, you talk about a lot in your podcast. Um, my favorite one that I listened to was the, the all or nothing. And that's something that I've had to learn to apply in my life. So for example, with Instagram, Instagram can be beneficial and it can hurt people. It can hurt yourself. You can, Instagram can hurt you if you're not using it correctly. And so instead of completely deleting the app, I just turn the notifications off and move it off the main screen of my phone because I don't have to completely delete it, but I don't have to be on it every day for hours. And that's something, an example of where I've found like the healthy balance to where, okay, I'm on it for like 30 minutes a day. And then I like turn it off and I don't really need it. That's so, yeah, that's so great. Cause it's so true. I know a lot of us will like just delete the app and I've never thought about the whole all or nothing with, with stuff like that, because it's true. Cause then what happens when you redownload it? You just go back to like exactly. being on it for hours and hours. 
That's so true. And I have taken the Enneagram test. I'm also a one. And yeah, that's, I can, we do want to fix things. And that's something I have a hard time with because Taven, I don't know about you, but Taven's an empath. Are you an empath? I'm not. No. (laughs) Okay. I didn't think so. Like I'm not an empath. Taven is so good when I'm struggling or I'm hurt and he's just there for me. He's really good at being there for me. But then it's like when he, which is literally never, but when he's struggling, I don't know how to like properly be there for him. I'm just like, well, how can I fix it? And I don't know. Do you have a hard time with that with friendships? Cause I know I do too. I've been trying to like take a step back and just like, I think people just need to vent. Um, but it's like, yeah, I want to fix it. Let me fix it. <laughs> I have learned that my advice isn't always wanted and it's not always needed. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor, but I can listen. So what I've learned to do with friends, I validate their feelings. I validate with their, their emotions. I try and restate. Okay. So what I'm understanding is like, so-and-so said this to you and they really hurt your feelings. And then I validate that. I say, of course, a lot of people's feelings would be hurt from that because so often, especially as like women, I feel like we are made to feel bad about feeling a certain way. Oh, she's crazy. She's, you know, violent. She's angry, whatever it is, when we're just feeling real emotions. And so I've learned with that just to listen. And I had a friend do this to me and now I use it in my life. She goes, I know you probably don't want to be told anything that you've already heard before. She said, you're a strong, capable woman. I'm sure you have a plan. What do you need from me besides an ear? And I was like, dang, like, I'm going to steal that because that was good because you don't want people coming at you like, okay, well, you can do this. You can do that. You can do that. And I'm like, bitch, I already thought about all that. I don't need that. I just want you to listen and like, tell me I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I think that's something we also need to do like for ourselves. Like I've had to learn that like with my mom, because my mom and I, you know, we talk every day about everything and I have to tell her beforehand, like, Hey, I just need to vent. I don't need you to fix this. I think a lot of us just need to learn how to do that because of course, no one wants to see us hurt. They, you know, want to be there for us. But I think like, like you said, like that, your friend asked what um, you wanted from her, but you're right. Like no one ever asked that. So I think not only do we need to ask that, but we need to tell people too, like what Mm -hmm. we expect. Like, I just want you to listen. Cause otherwise, yeah, everyone just like wants to give their own advice. And it's like, I don't want your Mm -hmm. advice. (laughs) Unless it's asked for, you know? So I want to know how you've created boundaries with your friends because you I, you and I are a lot alike like very very similar and you might not notice this part but I notice things that you do that I do as well um where we can be taken advantage of um like you all you always drive you always drive and I always drive and I think it's because we just assume that other people will be nice enough like to offer to drive and i know that's how i am so that's why whenever we hang out i'll tell you i'll say hey i'll drive because otherwise i know you're just going to be nice and you're going to drive because that's just how you are 
And I feel like a lot of people take advantage of that. Instead of seeing it as like, wow, she's being so nice. Maybe I should ask to drive in return. They'll just be like, well, she always drives. So I'm just going to let her drive. That's just one little example. I, I, I noticed that you do this. Like you, there's just like the independent woman you are. Like you're just going to take charge of things to get done. But I could see how people would take advantage of that. So I don't know if that happens in any other aspects of your life, but how have you established boundaries with your friendships? Because I know you are in a different level um, in your life than other friends that you have. It's interesting because it's definitely a process. Like not every friendship is the same and people are different. So those boundaries are going to be different. And something that I've learned, and I don't want this to sound wrong, but go off the energy of what people are giving you. Because there are a few relationships that you'll have in your life where you're doing all of the work. That's fine. Like small moments. I have a relationship with my dad where if I wanted that to happen, I would have to do all of the work to make that possible. There are a few relationships in your life that you're going to have to do that. I don't think friendships are something like that. Maybe in seasons, definitely. Let's say your friend just had a miscarriage. She's not going to put any effort into this friendship. That's your job to step up and do that. But that's not the entirety of the friendship. That's not your 10-year-long friendship where I'm the one planning things for everything. I'm the one who's deciding what, who like has to come up with ideas. I'm always the one texting to hang out. You only ever invite me when nobody else wants to hang. When that continues on over multiple seasons, like that's not healthy. And so what I've learned with that is when people want to hang out with you, we all have technology. We all have cars. They'll make the effort to see you. And so something that I recently did with certain groups of friends is I pulled back. Like I moved a little further away I physically mentally emotionally pulled back and after a month it was like oh my gosh I miss you like let's hang out and through that I think it was like cool we're not as close as I thought we were and that's fine and yeah that kind of hurt at first but then at the same time it was a lot of a healthier cut and you know we started to move forward I'm still friends with those people but at the same time they're not my best friends we're not going to stand up at each other's weddings like you and I did. I know, right? <laughs> I was like, exhibit A, my girl. <laughs> that's, yeah. I think that's something I definitely, I definitely struggle with. But I really like the point that you, that you said where like every friendship is different because it is true. And, and something I've, I've noticed, um, it's kind of like when you're with a friend, like, I don't want to say who the alpha is but like in a way I guess like who's more of like the motherly figure and who's more of not and I feel like you always adapt to the other person and like you know I feel like most of my friendships I'm the alpha or the, or the motherly figure but then it's nice like hanging out with you or it's it's you and I can be like Ooh, I don't have to plan anything. I know Lindsay's going to plan. I know she's going to offer her the ride, you know, like hanging out with you. is like hanging out with my mom in a great way. My mom's, <laughs> my, mom's my best friend. You Your know? mom's great. <laughs> so it's just like stuff like that. Cause you definitely adapt to the friends. And like, I have friends where like, I, I have to do everything. I have to plan it. Cause if I don't plan it, if I don't make the reservation, if I don't pick that person up, it's not going to happen. And um, I mean, like you said, every, every friendship is different, but yeah, you shouldn't be putting in all the work unless it's during a season, like you said, and that's a good point because 
everyone goes through different things, but if like the entire friendship is just one one person putting in work, that's going to be a no for me, dog. And I think that something people don't apply in friendships is love languages. There's like the book, I can't remember who wrote it, the five love languages. There's a mm-hmm. test you can take. As you can tell, I love to take all these personality tests, but my biggest love language is acts of service. That's one of my quality time and acts of service. And I have friends where their love language is words of affirmation. And that's a great one. But love as a definition to me, and yeah, like love and friendships, relationships, love's an action. And so in a friendship, you need that action. Friendships aren't made up of, oh my gosh, best friends. That's not a friendship. Friendships aren't made of huge gestures. Oh my gosh, I planned you this huge surprise party. No, friendships are made of showing up. You can't just be a mountaintop friend. You have to be able to walk with that friend in the valley. And I think by putting up boundaries, you kind of realize who those mountaintop and valley friends are. You realize who's going to be your girl, your ride or die through putting up boundaries because those friends where those boundaries are just really natural, like maybe you don't talk about a certain subject, like politics wise, things that are easy. I think that's a friendship that you just want to pursue. And you have to learn your friend's love language. That sounds weird, but you have to learn how you guys love. Like I have a friend, she loves to tell me how great I am, how much she appreciates me. And I'm just like, yeah, but you canceled plans on me last week. Like that's Mm -hmm. not showing me love. And so we had to have a hard, we had to have a hard conversation. And I was like, I'm not going to tell you, I appreciate you, but I will do X, Y, Z, A, B, C for you. But I've also had to learn, like, I need to tell her, you're doing great. I love you. I value you because that's what she needs. And so it's a give and take kind of with any relationship that you have. Yes. Oh my gosh. I've never thought about the whole um, love language in relation to a friendship because that is so true. But, but like you said, like we have our own love languages and I feel like our own love language is the one that we like to like put on to others. And like you said, we all have different love languages. So like my husband, his love language is physical touch. (laughs) That is like most men, (laughs) right? I'm like, that is last on my list. But (laughs) if I don't hold his hand or do some type of physical touch, he's, he's not going to feel loved. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I can go over here and buy him all these little gifts, all these little things that I would like, but that's not going to make him feel loved. And same the other way around. So with friendships, that that's a really good point. And I think that's why we need to either look at our friends and see what they like, or just ask them what their love language is. Mm-hmm. Now I know what your love language is. Acts of service and quality time. I thought about it today while driving. I was like, my best friendships are made up of really small moments. Like, yeah, we have big moments together, but then at the same time, I'm having dinner with friends tonight and I don't see them often, but he texted me a couple of weeks ago and he was like, we've been really busy, but you and I still need to hang out. Like just the fact that he took the time to be like, I know we've been missing each other, but like, hey, I still like want to see you soon. So let's plan it. Like just that small text. I was like, cool. Okay. Like, yeah, we're friends. We're tight. You're good. He? He, he is a friend, just a friend. Again, remember boundaries. (laughs) So what's funny with that is, I mean, on the subject of guy friends, I mean, this might not be, I think this is good advice. It's not the most womanly Christian advice, but look, you're going to have a guy friend. And with this guy friend, you can either cross physical boundaries, like, oh my gosh, we like really flirt and we like, how do we touch? We've made out a couple times. 
or you can cross emotional boundaries where like he knows your scars, he knows your baggage. But you can only pick one because once you've crossed both, he should be your boyfriend. You shouldn't be connecting physically and emotionally with a friend. That's boyfriend material. So you gotta pick one. My, or, I just pick, say, like, or, pick a, or pick none. Or pick none. You have to pick one if you have a guy you friend. You have to, ladies. <laughs> you have to cross one of those boundaries. But if you're oh going God. to. <laughs> I hope, like, you know, like, our moms aren't listening to this. They're like, whoa, whoa, what advice are you giving to the, the younger generations? No, I'm just kidding. But that is a good, that is a good point. Like, if you are going to cross one, you can't cross both. Exactly. You need some sort of boundaries when having guy friends. And I have those with my guy friends. So what, you only make out with them? I'll tell you what you want. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. That's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so my last question for you um the last two questions like one how has your relationship um changed over the years with god and then like what pressures do you feel in society as a woman of god yeah addressing my relationship with god obviously mountains and valleys ups and downs but for the most part really progressing upward i have come to really understand what i believe be able to talk about it and be confident in what I believe just in life about theology about anything and I'm really comfortable I'm like glad I did that but like on an emotional and like personal level these last couple years have been really hard because yes I felt loved and I felt the freedom in Christ but what's so interesting is with my journey I'm I went from student to lifeguard to student to teacher to unemployed to temporary to permanent to back to unemployed the temporary, then finally permanent. All of these different titles have changed for me. And in the end, like the one true title, like I'm a daughter of a true king. And like, he called me his daughter. And that's what matters. In the end, that's the only title that matters. Like, I'm a strong, badass, independent woman trying to make my way in the world. Even if I didn't have that, God loves me and I'm his daughter. And he knows my name, which is important. So that's definitely been something that I've come to realize over these last couple of years, which is, I think, what led to a lot of my depression is I put a lot of value on my job, not even necessarily being a teacher, but I put a lot of value on working hard and doing a good job at work. And then I put a lot of value on my freedom and my finances. My goals as a young like college student was I want my job. I want to be able to provide for myself. And I want the freedom to go travel, to go do things, to do whatever I want. And slowly, one at a time, these last few years, those were taken away from me, one at a time, until I had none. And I literally was sitting in the backyard with my dog. And I was like, okay, Jesus, like, I get it. Like, you've literally shown me all of these things that I've basically put on pedestals trying to achieve. You're the only thing that matters in all of that. So it's been a journey. And it still is like a struggle because as a, a society, we put these things on a platform like this is what you're supposed to be trying to do no in reality like my greatest purpose here is to love god and love others i can do that as a trash collector i can do that as a teacher i can do that as a wife as a mom whatever but at the same time like that's what it boils down to oh my gosh i absolutely love that because that's that's just what i've been going through too and i think like god does it on purpose he goes oh you value these three things well what's going to happen to you if that gets taken away 
Because it's so, it's so true. That's, that was one of my biggest struggles, putting identity, my identity in certain things that can be taken away. But the only thing that can't be taken away is like, I'm a daughter of God. That can't be taken really? away. So I think that's something that a lot of people need to hear because especially going through these tough times where a lot of things are getting taken away and where certain things are shown to not matter as much as other things. Um, you know, the only thing that is, will always be true is, you know, our relationship with God and that we are a child of God. And if you're not a Christian or following God, like you can be, it's so easy. And I mean, like the freedom that I found in it, that's just a smidge. And like Miranda, I know you as well have found so much just freedom in sitting and like sitting in God's love. And that's weird to describe, but that's what it is. It's a freedom that comes with that. It's, yes, I am slightly fearful of the future, but at the same time, looking back on my past, God has proven that he's been with me the whole way. When I had $2 in my checking account, somebody texted me to babysit the next day. And I was like, wow, God is good. So it's so funny because I saw this meme. It was like, we plan, God laughed. And not to make him sound cruel, but at the same time, like, life's just wild. And in the end, like, you're going to be okay because God is good. And so what are the pressures that you feel in society as a Christian woman? It's definitely changed. I mean, at the beginning of college, none. I was a really ignorant, you know, middle-class white teenager. And I knew no struggles of the world. And like, I guarantee you that I know maybe like 0.5 of them today, like big picture wise. But for the most part, I feel like a common trend that Christian women struggle with is defining themselves as a feminist. Now, you can define feminist in a couple of different ways. Some people define it as, we don't need men, putting men down, like, whatever. Yeah, I define feminism as supporting the other women around me, like, both, like, politically, spiritually, emotionally, lifting each other up, because, like, again, we're all on team human, but at the same time, like, we can't deny the fact that women are still provided less opportunities. If a man was making more than I was, I'd be pissed. They can't because it's a pay scale for teaching. But at the same time, like if I found out somebody who was same qualifications, same time teaching, and he was making more than me, I would be absolutely outraged because like, how dare they? Like, that's not what a job should be based off of. But then at the same time, I feel like a lot of women struggle with using it in the home, like a lot of women who are married, because yes, the Bible does have these specific gender roles in a marriage. Okay, well, when it comes down to it, honey, that's your marriage, your relationship with your husband. Your husband could like to be on the top or the bottom. He could like you to spank him. That's up to you. That's your relationship and your marriage, whatever it is. You could be the one working. He could be the one staying at home with the kids. Who cares? That situation doesn't affect all of the women around you. What about the women that are not Christian? What about, like, yeah, we can pray for them. We can love them. That's what God tells us to do. What about the women who live in different countries? What about the single women? Me, right down the street. What am I supposed to be doing? Am I just supposed to sit passively waiting for a man to come buy me a house? No, I'm hustling. I'm working hard. I have a voice. I have an opinion, and that matters. Like, that's what feminism means to me. And I feel like oftentimes Christian women are like, we are anti-feminist. And it's like, well, you have your college education because of the feminists 100 years ago, so you're welcome. I think the biggest point is we have to support and empower each other, because if we don't, that's half of the population against you. So is there anything else that we haven't covered that, like, you want to go over? Oh, let's go back to the dating and the church thing. 
I think another issue with like dating as a Christian and in the church is there are so few men in the church. Like if you go to a church and you sit down or a Christian college, there are like eight women for every one dude. And like that's statistics. Like you can look on the college website and it'll tell you like how many women go to the college and how many men and there's always more girls. And I heard it on a podcast where this woman who worked at a church, she said, churches don't invest money in men's ministry. They invest money in women's ministry, high school, college, kids, but not men's because they don't come. They don't show up. Like why have a whole event for, you know, 20 men when you could have a whole event for 500 women. And that's sad. And like, that breaks my heart. And so this podcast, but it's the best way. It was like, if you want to find a nice Christian man at church to date, start praying for more men to start coming to church. And that will end up solving half the problem because they're not there. And it's just society. It's the timing. It's maybe a, a wave in our population. Who knows? But at the same time, like we need to pray for them to be there. And then on the offhand, at the same time, people don't want to date in church because we make it awkward. Because, you know, John asks me out, I tell every single one of my friends. And then when John decides he doesn't want to talk to me anymore, everybody's like, oh my gosh, John's such a dick. He didn't like Lindsay, blah, blah, blah. And that just makes it like this toxic, such an awkward environment where I've had my Christian guy friends tell me, we don't want to ask out girls because then if we don't like them, we can't date any of the other girls. And so then once you've dated a few girls at church, you're done because they all know, oh, he dated Sarah and like, oh, can't go there. When in reality, like on a first date, the only thing that you should be trying to figure out is if you want to go on a second date with this person. Like, that's all. You have fun, you share a meal, you get to know each other. Eh, not much chemistry, not really feeling his vibe. Okay, bye. Have a nice day. I'll see you at church on Sunday. That's a good point, though. I never really thought of that. But yeah, it's so true. Because like, come on. I mean, if there's one dude and there's like 10 girls... I mean, y'all gotta yeah. take your turn until he finds the married to his Joseph. <laughs> but then at the same time, like, when a nice guy walks up to you and has the balls to talk to you, be nice to him. You don't have to marry him, but you don't have to laugh at him or, like, reject him. That's why they don't come up and talk to us. Like, every girl is like, I want a guy to initiate it and to come talk to me. Like, yes, society's changed them a little bit, but at the same time, like, I'm sure they've been rejected a couple of times, so that's, they're scared. Or you and your really cute friends are really intimidating, so cut him some slack. Like, why don't you say hi first and let him know it's okay to approach? And then maybe he'll take the reins from there. You can't catch a fish if you're not fishing, you know what I'm saying? There you go. You need some bait on that hook. I know. You hold bite the bait, but you got it, you know. Wow, we should start our own separate podcast of dating advice in the Christian world. <laughs> For those who do not follow you right now, where can they find you? So I'm on Instagram, and that's about it. If you want to see pictures of me in high school, go to Facebook. But for the most <laughs> part, I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm at Lynn's Church 3. I'm not super fancy, but if you want to see cute pictures of a golden retriever, he has an Instagram as well, so you can go find that on my Instagram. All right, you guys, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed listening to Lindsay. And if you like this podcast, please make sure to like and subscribe. And if you are a single Christian man, follow Lindsay on Instagram. She is beautiful. 
She is smart, she has her life together, and she's gonna absolutely kill me when she hears that I'm saying this. But anyways, I will see you on the next episode of Empowered. Oh, <laughs>